Today on the Southpaw Social, we talk lightweights, Usman still king of the welterweights, Max Holloway throwing around his weight, but wait, Volkanovski wants to make him wait for another title shot. All of this and more on today's first episode of the Southpaw Social. I mean... Because you were very anti-anything that isn't lemon and sugar. I was. Well, because I feel like you're trying too hard if you go with anything else. It's too American. What do you mean? There's nothing wrong with Nutella. It, nah, it's too American for me. And I will say this. I think the person who ate the most pancakes, I would not be surprised, because he's a big boy, if it was Francis Ngannou. I was... Uh, Ngannou was a man as well, yeah. Or Derek Lewis. But I guess he's got he's got a fight at the weekend. He does. But he's in, <laughs> he's in great shape. He's lost weight recently. He looks good, but... No, I think I think Ingarni will put them pancakes away. What do you reckon he had on them? What the pancakes? Yeah, yeah. For everything, I mean, you name it: steak, <laughs> steak. I don't know, steak, meat, potato. Ingarni's just throwing on. Where what was he? A month out before this fight with Stipe, and he's just yeah. throwing steak and potatoes Six on his weeks, pancakes. Yeah, steak, potatoes, veg, everything. I mean, mate, he's got to keep them pecs massive, hasn't it? Get some power behind them punches. You don't, you don't punch like a Ford Escort for no reason. Anyway, welcome to the first episode of the Southpaw Social. My name is Tom Scarborough, and I'm joined by my good friend and UFC connoisseur, Dom Sumter. How's it going, buddy? I'm all good, man. How you doing? Excellent. Yeah, I'm okay. A lot to unpick for this first show. We're going to be talking about the show on Sunday, UFC 258. We've got the lightweights to unpick. Poirier, McGregor, Ferguson, Chandler, Oliveira, Gay. There's just endless names there. And then we're going to wrap it up by talking about Max Holloway. Just to kick off, you're a huge Connor fan. I am a huge, huge Connor fan, but, you know, I'm not one of those people that just, he's a messiah, should we say. I know when there's (laughs) stuff wrong with him, and it's very evident you could see based on his last fight. In his preparation, what he did wrong, I think. You were were very adamant, as was everyone, that McGregor was the complete favourite for that fight with Poirier. We actually had a bet on, didn't we? You, You were so convinced that McGregor was going to win you said if McGregor wins Tom you need to get yourself a tattoo of a tiger and I said all right fine but if Poirier wins Dom you need to get yourself a tattoo of a diamond uh, <laughs> yeah when when's that when are you getting that tattoo then I'll tell you what when we come out of lockdown we'll go together and we will get that diamond tattoo done it'll be it'll be somewhere not even hidden I'll do it on my forearm, <laughs> on your forearm. I'll do it on my forearm somewhere I mean, that's not to discredit. That wasn't me saying that I didn't think Dustin had a shot. You know, Dustin's an incredible fighter. As, as we've seen over the years, you know, his progression after he lost to Conor the first time, it's very, um, you know, he completely bounced back and completely changed everything. You know, you forget this is a guy who's beaten, beaten Max twice, you know, beat Khabib with a guillotine, man. This guy's no joke. And I think if Khabib isn't staying, yeah, he's, you know, he's the guy who really is the champ without being the champ. And, it wasn't necessarily a writing off of him. It's just, you know, a lot of people will agree that aura of Connor, it doesn't matter who he's fighting. If he's fighting Floyd or whoever, as soon as he opened that mouth you, you, and you heard him speak, you just there's something about him, that presence that you just kind of go, he knows something. He's won once in four, five years now. Questions now need to be asked. What's he doing? Is his preparation right? Does he maybe need to look somewhere else, look at what he's doing with his coaches? Yeah. Well, that's it. There was there was a huge difference in kind of the attitudes between Poirier and McGregor for this fight compared to their their first one. You know, we saw that we saw that really respectful handshake at the weigh-in. Did that kind of play into it? Do you think has Connor kind of people say maybe he has gone too soft? 
I don't think so. I don't think it was a soft thing. I don't uh, buy into the the Khabib humbling thing as well because I think it's not like he didn't lose before. He lost to Nate. He's lost to people. I think he lost to Joe Duffy early in his career, but he'd always bounced back. And you know, you see with you know after he lost to Diaz, he was very respectful in defeat. He came back, and you know there was even more beef. It was even more animosity. You know, stuff being thrown at the weigh-ins and things like that. And you kind of go. Okay, you know, he's still the same guy. He was said some very unsavory things, you know, in the run up to the Khabib fight. That I imagine he probably regrets. And, you know, again, he was humble in defeat, making excuses, you can argue maybe. I don't think that really played into anything like that I think there's just a tremendous amount of respect he did then say after the fight like I think he said a couple of days ago in an Instagram post the bad boy's back or no more Mr Nice Guy or something so if he's going to come back and be trash talking Connor that we sort of all kind of grew to love and you know immediately fell in love with even and that remains to be seen but I don't think that ever played a factor into it I don't think being too nice because you got in a cage and he was first round he's smacking Dustin with everything he had mm-hmm. but yeah the fight itself Dustin obviously had a game plan and, and McGregor was going for him in that first round but Dustin was keeping him close quarters to, to, to combat those strikes yeah yeah he was and, and I think you look at that first round and I think there's always positives that you can take from that and I think there's a lot of positives for Connor that you can take from that first round. I don't think Connor's ever got enough credit for his wrestling. You know, for someone who's not got very good wrestling, you talk about he goes three or four rounds with Khabib. Someone who's meant to be this crap guy. He's got, I think he's got a brown belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu now. I thought he looked really good on the ground. I feel like, you know, he got back up to his feet. He worked well in the clinch. He loves them open palm strikes in the clinch and that shoulder, the shoulder in the, like, if that doesn't... Those were nasty, eh? They were shouldering each other in the face. Oh, mate. Right right up against the cage, huh? Yeah, everyone sort of looks at what is the next move. If it's a punch or a kick, you know, it's a low calf kick at the moment. Like, when when Silver did the front kick to the face, people started doing that. Everyone's kind of doing this calf kick because it completely debilitates a guy and it makes him reduce, as as we saw with the Connor fight. Well, this is it. Connor, Connor, after the fight, he, he cited his inactivity for the loss. It might be an excuse, but also he's been out the game long enough whilst there's been the rise of this yeah. usage of the calf kick right mm. which which Poirier implemented in the fight yeah man and I think the calf kick obviously was the thing that basically won Poirier the fight but I think as well and Connor said this afterwards he was too boxing heavy focused and I I was, I was saying that you know once I had time to sort of let the dust settle and rewatch the fight a couple of times you can see there wasn't that spring that he had if you go and watch him fight Aldo or anyone really maybe again except for Khabib you watch it like that spring was just wasn't there he was so flat footed and planted like a boxer would be because you don't have to worry about anything apart from a, a body shot in boxing and you know had this chat with many people including yourself I said you know he just didn't have that spring and when you don't have that spring and you're planted so hard that calf kick becomes so easy and whether Connor said you know he was checking him or whatever and it still hurt yeah your foot is planted on the ground so you're not going to be able to check him as well as you want to and I think he did all this talk about you know doing the boxing because he wanted to go and fight Pacquiao pick a sport man because I don't think the Connor that we're seeing at the moment the Connor we last saw against Poirier he's not a good enough boxer to beat Pacquiao and he's not a good enough MMA fighter to beat the top lightweights this is it yeah I mean there's there's so many different roads that each of these fighters in the lightweight division can take right now and one of the other things to take away from UFC 257 was the debut of former Bellator lightweight champion Michael Chandler mm. and he impressed there with his first round knockout of Dan Hooker and it was performance of the night shot Chandler straight to third in the lightweight rankings what, what did you make of his debut? yeah it's kind of been a mixed bag of Bellator fighters that have come to the UFC because you know there's these guys who have been champions like Hector Lombard who just got absolutely destroyed clearly Michael Chandler's the real deal you know Dan Hooker's no joke it's a high p- profile you know first fight to have it in is the UFC a high pro- you know there's not many more that 
you can have him. Clearly, Dana thinks big things of him because he was the replacement for Khabib and Justin. He had to go and make weight and go to Fight Island and do all of that stuff. So clearly, you know, Dana Dana saw that incredible talent that a lot of people thought he had, and he proved it. I think Dan Hooker, he's a great defensive fighter, and I don't know, maybe maybe the I don't even want to say the moment was too much, but because. He's fought on that high-profile stage before. I think, you know, he'll bounce back. And you look at that top top seven, eight, or nine. The Oliveira, sorry, don't sleep on him, man. He's he's one of them guys. Reminds me of a Gilbert Burns in the sense of incredible on the ground and then has just developed this amazing striking. Oliveira can do anyone, you know. There's no one really, bar Khabib, if he's coming back, that can really beat this guy on the ground. Well, this is it. This this kind of feels like the whole lightweight division is, is waiting on Khabib to make this decision, whether yeah. he's coming back, whether he's going to vacate the belt, because it is so stacked there at the top. You've got, like we've mentioned, any of these names, they, they, they could be a potential next champion. And, yeah. you know, if, if, if you're Dana, you're looking at this division, you know, where do you even start? Where, where do you, you start the top with Poirier? Do you give him a third match with Conor, which I don't think will happen just yet? Do you give him Oliveira? Do you give him Chandler? Well, I think let's work with the idea that Khabib's done. So you got a vacated belt. Well, he was last night at the Nou Camp, wasn't he? For saying uh, he wants a match with PSG. He, saying he wants to do, he wants to do a fight at the Nou Camp. Picked up Kylian Mbappe's jersey yeah, from, from that man. match. He said he wants to fight in front of hundred thousand people. Well, he yeah, clearly does win the fight, but you know, is it? as a lightweight champion or I, I don't know I think if you're going to do the uh, new camp and you're going to get try and get 100,000 people there would that be the McGregor fight well, it'd have to be surely yeah. or, unless you're going to get GSP or Ballsy one he goes up and fights Usman mm-hmm. or Volkanovski comes up and fights him you can't not do one of those super fights but yeah I mean let's work with the principle that Khabib's retired yeah back to the lightweight so let's yeah. say so let's say Khabib's retired so here are the names we've got at the top we've got Poirier we've got Oliveira we've got Chandler McGregor potentially going to box with Manny Pacquiao, mm-hmm. perhaps uh, a Nate Diaz trilogy, perhaps Tony Ferguson. We can talk about that in yeah. a whole other episode. But let's think about the, the active fighters we've got now. How does it work? Do you give Chandler to Poirier next or do you fit in Oliveria there after he picked apart Tony Ferguson last year? So I will say this. I'll preface it with this. I think Dana will make the Dustin McGregor fight this summer. I think that will happen and I think it will be for the belt. How do we get to that? Dana's a businessman first and foremost and there's too much money in it for it not to happen. You always see with title fights, there's trilogy fights, it's one apiece regardless who loses. If you hold the belt, you're going to fight again. I have no problems with that because I want to see the most entertaining stuff. I like that, That's where I think there's so many options. Ideal situation, if you wanted to be as true to sort of everything, you got to give Chandler one more fight. I think Chandler v. Gaethje would be very good and I think you would do Oliveira v. Dustin for the belt. Those two make the most sense. And then whoever wins with Chandler and Gaethje is becomes number one contender. Yeah, more than likely. But what, what about a bit further down down the rankings? You, you could get have something like Hooker and Ferguson, which is still two household names, but there's a whole redemption arc to have there for both those guys. Oh right? yeah, of course. And you have to think whoever loses that is is going to be really you know, out out of contention. Oh, hundred percent. I think I mean, Tony has to have a must win fight. Tony's you know he's closer to forty than he is thirty now. Because what he's lost his last two now, is it? Yeah. Yeah. Gaethje you know, and, and Gate Oliveira yeah. again not two pushovers but not the Tony Ferguson we knew not the Tony Ferguson who was meant to be this is the guy to beat Khabib yeah well you look at like you know how he was on the card for Conor and Khabib dude's crazy man covered in blood gets knocked down doing like Imanari roles and doing like forward roles and stuff to try and get away from getting taken yeah, down yeah he's wacky so I'm a very much casual fan and got into you know UFC watching on BT Sport on Sunday nights during this whole pandemic and the first pay-per-view I saw was headlined by Ferguson and Gaethje and mm. Fer- 
Ferguson mm. just struck me as this complete wacky dude who you just you know Gaethje basically out wrestled him for for the for five rounds yeah and and he just didn't go down he you know he, he took his strikes and he just didn't you know Ferguson didn't El Kukui, man. oh my he's goodness crazy he's such an interesting person but you're not seeing that you haven't seen and I know it's been two fights but he's getting older you would imagine there's so much wear and tear on that body you know you see him kicking steel poles and stuff to, oh, to train yeah, he's like, just oh I, I couldn't imagine what it'd be like to hang around with him I think he has to win his next fight and with the way these you know they're cutting all these older guys like your Romero's like your Anthony Pettis's well regardless of what happens in, in Tony Ferguson's future the lightweight division remains absolutely stacked 100%. predictions who's going to be the lightweight champion by the end of 2021 Dustin Poirier. Dustin Poirier, you heard it here first. So Saturday night, we were treated to our second UFC pay-per-view of the year, UFC 258, headlined by Usman and Burns for the Worldweight Championship. Kicking off the main card was Maki Pitolo and Julian Marquez uh, in a middleweight bout, and this was an awesome opener. And, and for me, the highlight of this, it was the battle of the nicknames, Coconut Bombs, Pitolo, yeah. against the Cuban Missile Crisis, Marquez. Yeah. Now, Dom, to me, it seemed like Pitolo was in control for most of this fight, and yet somehow Marquez found that Anaconda choke submission in the third round to finish him off. What happened? Well, I mean, he was setting it up the whole fight. Pitolo was securing takedowns. He was doing great level changes off the cage. That first round where Marquez was going for the tie clinches, Pitolo was just going right underneath that and just securing these takedowns. But a couple of times you saw these guillotines come out of you know, Marquez of going down onto his back. So it was there. It wasn't like it was telegraphed, but you could see it ha- like it was coming. It was just he kept trying and trying and trying for it. And he needed a finish. Straight up, Pitolo dominated that fight for about three, the whole round. Yeah, then, I thought he had him several occasions. Yeah, and, you know, coming to the end of the fight, you know, they just came out and were just throwing absolute bombs in that third round. You were kind of going, either one of these guys could get knocked out. I know Pitolo dropped Marquez with a low kick in the third round and I thought, okay, this is kind of, if he's not going to be able to move, this could just, he could just start picking him off. But, you know, fair play to Marquez, man. Pitolo gets stunned and he shoots. To catch someone so cleanly with a guillotine like that, especially a guy who's dominated you on the ground. Well, he did, he did say in his, in his post-fight interview that he, that he did feel flat in, in the octagon. Again, I don't want to feel sad for Pitolo, but Pitolo put on like a really good fight. He fought a really crisp fight up until that last minute. You know, fair play to Marquez, he moves on. Great bounce back after an injury. Yeah, and, and it was Valentine's weekend, of course, this past weekend. And in his post-fight yeah. interview, he, he did say, he said, hey, Miley Cyrus, can you please be my Valentine? And Miley replied on Twitter saying, if he shaves MC into his chest hair, then she is his. He blew it, though. Did he? He replied with something and it was, it was dry. Oh, man. Second fight on the main card was featherweight belt between Simon, Simon. not Simon, not Simon, <laughs> as it said across his back of his across his <laughs> yeah, shoulder blades. He has the Simon tattooed. He's... Talking of tattoos, his opponent Brian Kelleher had some awesome leg tattoos. He had a yeah. little anger down there, a little dream catcher line as well. Um, Kelleher, he was busted open within the first minute of the first round, and you know Simon won by unanimous decision after three. Yeah. Take us through this one. Simon looked amazing. You know he's returned to featherweight. Hasn't. I don't think he's fought at featherweight in the UFC. He was just quick. You couldn't... You, you know, Kelleher couldn't really find this guy. Simone's just, like... He looked good at featherweight. Like, he was... You could tell he was struggling to make bantamweight. And I think it takes someone to, you know... It takes a lot of pride to go, you know what, it's not happening here. Let's go up. 
respect to the dude, he came out, he pushed the pace. Like he, that's something you know he was he's you know, kind of known for. He pushed the pace. You're fighting a guy like Kelleher who's got absolute rockets in his hands. You got to just go and just take him down. And he, that's what he did. And he fought the right fight and he got the he got the win. But again, just the whole fight was just Simone bringing the pace. You know, he's got a nice jab. Kelleher did land, and I really liked this. He landed that front high kick twice. You know, the old Anderson Silva. That was something nice to see. That was, you know, really good, really good structure throw there. And he, he probably should have thrown it more because Simone couldn't find it. Like, it just came out of nowhere twice. And that smack you hear, especially now when there's no fans. Yeah. That was, that, there was some noise behind those front kicks. But that's throughout all of the cards. All these blows oh, that you yeah. hear. That, do you know what? As much as it sucks not seeing fans at, you know, sports events in general... Being able to hear those blows and, and and really you know hear the hear the corner men as well has has really added to yeah you know to appreciation for me of of, of the sport yeah hundred percent I will also say I'll give credit to Simone using the uh, those nice six twelve elbows I haven't seen them in a long time in the UFC what are a six twelve elbows so six twelve elbows where you bring your elbow it kind of comes from your belly stomach area if you're kind of standing side on and you'll sort of fling it upwards so like you're in year six assembly and your arms are crossed yeah sitting exactly. really nicely and then you and just then you just fling it, it you fling it up kind of you know if you're standing horizontally you'd fling it out in front of you kind of where your jab would go and it comes from your stomach and you know he, he threw like two or three of them in a row not like threw one waited he just went pow pow power with it and it was I tell you what I haven't seen one of them in a while you know John Jones kind of used those really early in his career hard to argue that Simone shouldn't be getting um, ranked guys now because you know he looks quick he's got great cardio great wrestling and you know he could be a real problem for that featherweight division third match we had middleweight action with Kelvin Gastelum taking on Ian Heinish and Heinish's walkout song was Bob Dylan's Hurricane which was absolutely awesome and you know what in the first round he did come out like a hurricane he controlled most of the first round with that Kimura but it was a case again of one guy coming out the gates quicker but then the other guy winning by unanimous decision Um, and this was huge for Gastelum as well right because he snapped a three fight losing streak yeah and I think people forget about people sleep on Kelvin Gastelum Kelvin Gastelum is an absolute weapon I have so much respect for Kelvin Gastelum I think he's an incredible fighter you look at the guy he is absolutely built the Kimura you know I think what you saw was a veteran display you look at some of his you know his recent losses no shame you lose to the middleweight champ Kelvin Gastelum man I think he's a he's a great fighter again great Kimura defense held in that Kimura a while two Kimuras actually Heinrich went through it twice and it tied Heinrich out I think the third round he looked really good like Heinrich really came out with a bit more energy a bit more oomph to him but it was done. You know, he threw a couple of flying knees and Gastelum caught both of them into a double leg. Again, fair play to Kelvin. He came on, put an absolute show, like, not an absolute show, but he came on, he, he knew what needed to be done. He did what needed to be done. He got the win. We've ranked ninth. He's probably going to be a bit higher now. Pretty emotional as well. He, he said he, he needed the, this win. Yeah, man. I like Gastelum. I'd like to see him fight. You know, you look down sort of the rankings. Maybe a rematch with Darren Till. That'd be quite fun. It wasn't that one-sided. That would be a good fight. I really like the middleweight division because a lot of them, pretty much all of them are strikers. A division as well where, where the champion's stepping up um, for the yeah. next pay-per-view next month there, eh, which I'm, I'm sure we'll talk about on a future episode. Mm. All right, so co-main event, we had women's flyweight action. Macy Barber taking on Alexa Grasso. Macy said before the match that we should expect a brand new version of Macy Barber. Did we see that, you know, perhaps in, in, in the third round? You know, she she's on the wrong end of the unanimous decision. Grasso won this for her back-to-back wins. You know, did we see a new version of, of Barber? She had great, strong third round. Yeah, well- what we have to say is Macy Barber is 22 yeah, years old. She is age. so young. She's huh? younger than the pair of us and she's got like, she's only got I think 10 fights yeah. under her belt. 
and to come back from 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 that knee surgery oh, as well, yeah. you know. I mean, she she does like to say the knee injury in her last fight, but she was losing that fight. She's young. What I think would really be good for her is if she took six, eight, ten months, maybe a year, take away and just train and train and train. You're 22 years of age. If you go away and you just sort of round your game out, because, I mean, looking at this, Grasso, a boxer, striker. Well, this is it. You, you talk about developing. She's known for her striking, Grasso, the winner. But, but her clinch game it was, was yeah, It was the grappling that, that won her this yeah. fight. Huh? She looked so strong, and Barber's big for that division. As weird as it sounds, you look at, you look at someone's back, and her upper back. Yeah. She was just, you know, the clinch game, I was going, okay, if it goes into the clinch, I can kind of see where this fight's going to go. But but it did go she, into the clinch and it didn't see what, you know? Up against the cage, she was controlling position, yeah, yeah, Grasso yeah. was. She was controlling it and making it... And do you know what? She was making... The first round, she made Barb look very silly. And I think, again, she's young. You're ranked... I think she's now ranked 15th, Barb, but she was, like, ranked 10th or 9th. At 22 years of age, you're not John Jones. No one's going to be John Jones. John Jones is a freak. She wanted to be the youngest champ ever. You've got a long way to go. You're not going to beat a Shevchenko. That's a different breed. But Barbara, I think she just needs, she just needs time. You've got eight years before you get really into your fighting prime. Around 30 years old. You've got loads of time. Take your time. You don't need to take these really high profile fights. You saw it was Grasso in the second round. She almost gets caught in an arm bar. Then transitions into an arm triangle. And then a choke. And those were glorious transitions. Oh, well. 100%. Fluid. You would go... Fluid. Oh, that's, that's, and like, that, that, that actually broke up Joe Rogan and DC giggling about the word Esso. Oh, you know, that, Esso, Esso. Oh, dearie me. Those fluid transitions actually stopped them and be like, oh, hang on, we actually have to do a job yeah. here rather than messing around in the booth, which is very endearing. Yeah, but, you know, I think Bob looked great in the third round. Again, there's positives for all these fighters that lost. You know, fair play to Grasso, she moves on. One more, two, two more fights. Could be looking at her competing for the title. Play to her. Yeah, she looked very impressive. So on to the main event then. It, oh. Wow. Emotion, huh? <laughs> Kamaru Usman and Gilbert Burns for the welterweight championship. Now, these two are good friends. And I just want to start this by... A big shout out to to coach Trevor Whitman, who was in Usman's corner for this. Um, Whitman became quickly one of my favorite people in UFC when he went on Rogan's podcast with Justin yeah. Gaethje and spent the entire episode taking the piss out of uh, how Justin Gaethje speaks, um, which was <laughs> hilarious. So kind of, you know, g- give us some context on why did Usman switch trainers for this fight? By the sounds of it, it was the camp kind of picked Burns over him. You know, he was saying there was a lot of, Usman was saying a lot of talk about respect and, you know, picking him. And I think it's very rare you see two, two, two teammates fight each other. It has obviously happened before, you know, Jones and Rashad Evans and people like that. It, all it does is, I understand they're all competing for the belt. Unless you grew up with this guy and, like, really grew up with this guy. Like, Khabib said he wouldn't fight Islam Makayev, I think his name is. He said he wouldn't fight him, it's like his brother. Cool. If it's just a guy you train with, you've known for five, six years, you're both competing for the same thing. You both want the gold. You both want to go down in history. You both want to be that guy. I think, yeah, that does lead to you having to leave unfortunately and one of you's got to go you both can't be in the same camp together one of you has to go and i think it's strange they didn't back usman you would like to think they backed the title but you know they went they went with burns and fair play to usman he comes in you know you think you come in with a different camp might go left might go right 
you know, you don't really know. It went the right way for him, and he um, he made it look very comfortable. Well, yeah, so we, we started with such an intense face-off. Oh, mm. my goodness me. You could cut the tension with a knife. And yeah. and then into the first round, and, and Burns catches him with that huge right hook right at the start, and, and yeah. Usman was wobbled. And we've seen plenty of fights finish, you know, that quickly on, on an instant where, yeah. where the champion or whoever is, is caught straight away, you know, just, just unguarded. But then, like you say, Usman brought it back and, and did. He made it look easy, right? He did, and I think I think what the mistake Burns made is in the first round he went on his back and he just stayed there. Yeah, and just Usman was just swiping at him with kicks. You I, know, I get why he did it because I think. Usman probably knew if it went to the ground, Burns was on his back, it could get dicey. So you don't want to put yourself in that position. Burns had him rocked and wobbled. I'm not saying he could have, but if he hit him a few more times, there could have been a knockout. But he sat on his back for a minute and a half. You let Usman recover. You let Usman just take shots at you. Burns did land this really nice body kick off his back. It's almost like you just stood there. It was like you just gave him a minute and a half break. Yeah. And you you know, you can't do that to a Kamara Usman. You can't really do that to anyone. Especially you can't do it to Kamara Usman, a guy who will just absolutely pound you and will make you look silly and he did you know 34 seconds into round 3 that's that's what he did and, and Usman walked away retaining the belt with yeah. the TKO win you need to talk about that jab Kamaru Usman's jab may be the best jab in the UFC in terms of power like it's in the box it's tight it's so straight and I know it's going to sound stupid for a jab but it's so straight he'll switch stances with it so he'll throw the jab off the left, and then he'll switch stances and throw it off the power punch. And that, um, yeah, and that's that's and what, that's he, what that, he did. That's a lot of what he was training with. With yeah, Trevor Whitman was was switching to southpaw and, and and training on that unorthodox stance. Yeah, that's um. He's getting scarier and scarier, if that's even possible. You know, Nigerian Nightmare is the nickname for a reason, and it really shows. Well, he's he's tied second now for the longest win streak in UFC history, um, with thirteen, only behind yeah. Anderson Silva now on sixteen. He beat GSP's record as well. Yeah, yeah, he, he surpassed GSP, and um, there's a lot of comparisons now between Usman and, and GSP. But after. after after the fight, Usman called out Mastavar again. Said it's not done. You know where does Usman go next? He's he's beaten the top four in the welterweight division. He's beaten six of the top eight. What could possibly be next? You know, he's beaten everyone. Is 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 yeah? I mean, he wants that Masvidal fight, and it makes sense because his mentality isn't to put on a show. His mentality is to be the best. It doesn't matter if he sits on you and wrestles you for twenty five minutes. He's walking out with that belt. It doesn't matter what it takes. If it means he puts on a boring fight, so be it. The reason he wants that Masvidal fight is because Masvidal, as much as I like him, made excuses. He made a lot of excuses. You can't. You took the fight on six days' notice. Why? Because if you lose, you lost on six days' notice. Masvidal made a mistake taking that Usman fight. Don't take the fight on six days. I know Dana loves a you know business guy and loves a guy who's all about the company. And no, you've you've knocked it off. Like you've knocked that sheen off. It's like it's the same with Connor. He's lost that sheen now because he's lost again. He's got to get it back. I don't think Masvidal's good enough to beat Usman. If Usman is anyone good enough to beat Usman? No. I don't think so. I don't think anyone's as good a wrestler as him and his striking is getting better and better and he's adding more things to his game. That jab is just so powerful and quick. You know, you go down the list. He's beaten Colby. He's beaten Burns. He's beat Edwards. Granted, a long time ago. He's yeah. beaten Jorge. That's it. Six of the top eight. Yeah. If, if you're Dana and you're looking at trying to book the most entertaining fight, 
what what do you do with him? What do you give him? Because there's been sprinklings of Usman Khabib. There's been sprinklings of Usman GSP. Do you think either of those could happen? No. And if not, well, then if not, then 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 what do you give him? What do you do to him? Usman wants to be the best welterweight of all time, and I think he's on his way to being. He's got better striking than GSP. Is he as dominant on the ground? Maybe not. You know, there's one name, and he's 14th ranked in the world. And he's the guy that everyone's talking about. And if he gets a couple of wins, and I I hope he gets better and recovers from this long-lasting COVID symptoms. This guy, Hamzat Chemaev, I've watched his fights, his fights in the UFC. He is scary dominant, welterweight and middleweight. And you look at this guy and you go, okay, he is that good on the ground. It reminds you of Khabib. Those comparisons are fair, but he's like Khabib with the right hand. Knocked out that guy in 27 seconds, whatever it was. Only been hit like six times while fighting or something. And he's 15 right now? He's 14. He's 14. If he can do what he's doing to unranked guys, if he can do that to ranked guys, it's you could be looking at another similar situation to a Khabib. A guy that is that dominant, but with better striking maybe. You know, we haven't seen much of his striking, but that could be a problem for Usman. So it will build to a fight with Usman eventually? Potentially. If he keeps winning, you know, he's only got eight or nine fights on sure. his But if he keeps winning... But that's going to take some time, right? So as a fan right now, who do you want to see Usman face, let's say, in his next one I mean, or two it's, fights? It's, it's Masvidal. And if he beats... I think if Masvidal can get a proper game plan going, working out... Because, you know, he didn't... Usman didn't take him down and keep him there. He just held him up against the cage. If Masvidal can work out a way to get out of the clinch and just keep fighting, just keep striking with him, it's a different story. And with a full camp, you can develop a game plan like that. But, I mean, yeah. there's some. I tell you what, every division, you know, has got, got some killers... In it, and you know everything's kind of looking excited. This is probably one of the most exciting times for the UFC. There was no fight of the night officially. What was your fight of the night? Ooh, I think there was anything that was really groundbreaking or really sort of stand out. That's why there wasn't a fight of the night. But I think if we're gonna have to go with one on the main card, oh, I like the barber fight. I like the barber and Grasso fight. I thought again because you look at the the transitions and you look at the clinch work and you look at the striking, it kind of covered everything that you kind of wanted to see in MMA in an MMA fight. So I would probably. I'm going to go with uh, Barber v Grasso. That would probably be my main card fight of the night. Nice. Uh, shout out as well to Bruce Buffer, who celebrated his 25th anniversary yes. in the UFC. He was sporting a lovely red jacket, which was, Oof. it wasn't as... Um, flamboyant. Yeah, it wasn't as flamboyant. It, it was still very lovely and I'm sure yeah. cost uh, much more than I make in a year. Ha. But I have a question for you. As a casual fan, who for you is the most enjoyable fighter to watch? That I've seen so far. you've seen so far. Oh, I think it's got to be Figgy. You think Figueroa? I love watching his fights. Yeah. He is just an animal. He's a machine. He fought, was it the beginning of December, then had a two-week turnaround before his next fight. And then before that second fight, that fight, by the way, was insane. Yeah. Against um, Perez. Perez? uh, Moreno, wasn't it? Yes, Brandon Moreno, yes. Yeah. You are right. That second fight against Moreno, he had a two-week turnaround. That a few hours before the fight he was in hospital with food poisoning yeah the man is a machine and I for one cannot wait to see him be the champion forever (laughs) (laughs) anyway so I think it would be a miss of us to not talk about on our first episode of this Southpaw Social the performance Max Holloway gave to start the UFC year last month he faced Calvin Qatar and got the unanimous decision win after five rounds 
but what a performance, huh? Oh, it's ridiculous. So here's the thing. He was coming off, you know, back-to-back losses to, to Alex Volkanovsky. Yeah. And, you know, at UFC 251 last July, I remember texting you, watching it, being like, you know, I've heard of this Holloway guy, but why is his stance looking like he's about to sneeze? He, he had his head back, you know, things didn't look right. Yeah. Max is such a unique build for a featherweight. He's huge. Like, people forget this. He's, and I know it doesn't sound, but he's 5'11", and Volkanovski, you know, is 5'6". He towers over him. He's long, he's lanky, he's got a real tight frame, and just he's just talented. Personally, I thought he beat Volkanovski the second time. A lot of people did. I think he beat Volkanovski. I think, fair play to him, though, head held high, went out, and he's like, I've got to make a statement. And, and he did. It was absolutely oh, outrageous. Yeah. He landed 445 significant strikes, which yeah. shattered the previous record, which I think, I think was he, around 400. He held the previous Yeah, record. he shattered his own record. He had 746 attempted strikes, which means over the 25 minutes of the bout, he tried to throw a punch every two seconds. Yeah. That is outrageous. Yeah, That's man. insane. You know, what, what do you think lit a fire under his ass? He really wants that belt. As you know, everyone who does, everyone who fights wants that belt. He wanted to come out, make a statement. He wants that belt back. Again, he's he's a young kid as well. He's 29 years of age. He's a right side of 30. And you think he's he's been on this ridiculous run. He's still got so much time to get better and better and hone his craft. And Max needed to make a statement. He made the biggest statement. One of the most viewed videos and most talked about videos for that January was him talking to DC or whoever it was, yeah, like John Anik. He was they were he was having a full blown conversation with the with the commentary and team and, dodge, and not getting hit. Yeah, he was he wasn't even looking at Qatar yeah. and his opponent. He didn't he didn't need. To, it was an outrageous performance, and what it's led to is, despite being 0-2 against Volkanovski, Dana has come out and said, "Well, I think I have to book the third match for the belt because of Holloway's performance." Yeah. In that. That's pretty rare, right? To be 0-2 against against the champion and and still have a have a third title shot. Huh? Yeah, of course, man. You know, Max is Max is this different breed of guy, and I think maybe Volkanovski's just his kryptonite, or who knows? Maybe. Well, well, it's, it's certainly ruffled Volkanovski's feathers. He, he defends the belt against Brian Ortega at UFC 260 yeah. next month, but he's come out and said, well, to give Holloway another shot at my belt would be disrespectful to me. And he said that you know Holloway is this golden boy, and Dana is is spoiling his golden child. Well, I think if you're the champ. You you fight whoever and everyone you should relish in the challenge if you see a guy fighting that well you should be going I want to fight that guy I think Volkanovski is very very good fighter you don't beat Chaz Mendes you don't beat Jose you don't beat Max twice ish without being amazing at fighting but I think if you're gonna be this champion you want to be this and that you fight everyone and granted you've beat him twice ish yeah well the, the second one was, but, was slightly controversial but do you see after a performance like that it's very hard to say he's not deserving of another title shot I like Max against really anyone in that top five. You can just argue, does he deserve a lower-ranked opponent? Does he deserve the title shot? I think he's earned the title shot based off that performance. If he'd have knocked him out, you couldn't. You really couldn't be put any questions into that sort yeah, of thing. Yeah, fair play for Qatar for lasting oh, all man, 25 minutes, huh? Yeah, you know, you, you take 445 strikes and you're still standing. Like, that's that's Ferguson yeah. levels of crazy, huh? Oh, 100%. And, you know, he was busted up and he was bleeding. And so much respect to Calvin Cater because, you know, that was like Diaz levels of punishment. That was a Diaz brother punishment situation right there because not many people take those sort of hits over and over and over and over again. But he never was looking like he was out. He kept, And he kept fighting to the end. And I 
applaud that man and fair play to him he won a lot of fans that night as did Max of course Featherweight's looking juicy as is every every division here's, here's a question for you would you rather spend five minutes with Max Holloway the Max Holloway we saw last month in January or would you rather take one punch from Francis Ngarni Ngarni man I think, I think I'd rather get it over and done oh get it done if you're asleep you're asleep you'll have a headache for a couple of days preferably neither I'd take the I broken reckon, yeah. jaw or something get it over and done with right yeah big up let's see Francis and Stipe next month or a couple of months time oh I'm looking forward to that one yeah and we'll have it all here on the Southpaw social just to finish off then we've got Fight Night 185 this Saturday big heavyweight main event Curtis Blades second rank against Derek Lewis the fourth rank who you got done Curtis Blades Curtis Blades I love Derek Lewis Derek Lewis is my guy funniest guy one of the best people on Instagram hilarious but you can't deny Curtis Blades he's been on my radar for a long time since he's come into the UFC and this guy is so talented winner of this fight faces the winner of Stipe and Ngannou nope John Jones fights the winner of Stipe v Ngannou Ooh, that one's too close to call for me hey we'll have plenty of time yes, to discuss it will. on a future episode yes, of the Southpaw Social shout out as well to Tom Aspinall from the northwest of England fighting at heavyweight against Andrea Lofsky on Saturday join us next time thank you very much peace bye